Hello, I'm Elena DelVal, and this is the HispanicNPR.com podcast. My guest today is Roger Osorio, who is author of The Journey to Reinvention, How to Build a Life Aligned with Your Values, Passion, and Purpose. We will discuss career reinvention. According to his bio, Roger is a reinvention expert and founder of the School of Reinvention, a community-based coaching platform that seeks to empower people to launch and succeed in personal and career reinvention. Roger worked for a Fortune 500 company in marketing and sales. In 2008, after falling in love with a part-time job tutoring math, he quit his day job to reinvent his career. Since then, he earned a master's degree in psychology and became a middle and high school math teacher international speaker, executive coach at a tech company, University of Pennsylvania and Sarah Lawrence College educator, entrepreneur, and author. Along his journey to reinvention, Roger's clients have included Google, Louis Vuitton, Moe Hennessy, LVMH, Citibank, The World Bank, IBM, and The Computer Electronics Show. Roger, welcome. Thank you so much, Elena. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here and talk a little bit about this book. Let's start with any conflict of interest that you have. Are you representing anyone other than yourself in the conversation or in the book that we're discussing? No, no one else. I'll just be representing myself today. What do we mean in our discussion when we say reinvention? How are you defining that word for purposes of our conversation. So when I talk about reinvention, uh, you know, one of the, what I refer to as reinvention are these adjustments that we can make in, in all areas of our lives, really. Obviously, we're going to focus our conversation today on career reinvention, but reinvention really um, can include any area of our life, our health, our relationships, our finances, uh, and so many more areas. And when we think about it that way, there are parts of our lives that we can make adjustments to. And that's what I mean by reinvention. So reinvention could be a very small adjustment to some part of our life that gets it into better alignment with who we are and what matters to us. It could also be a major change in our life. It could be a brand new career or maybe, you know, a very different kind of relationship or uh, a very different kind of way we approach our health and our wellness. So this is what I really mean by reinvention are the small adjustments, small and large adjustments that we can make to our lives, our day to day or our you know greater lives in order to get it into alignment with who we are and what matters to us. That brings a lot of questions to my mind. <laughs> Let's start with an easy one. Where is the line between a small adjustment to your life, say changing employers and a reinvention per se, as you're describing here, because it seems like maybe it's kind of like a continuum rather than there's a hard line or, mm -hmm. or is there? Yeah. So, you know, of course, yeah, there's definitely a, a line there. You know, I, I'll, when I think back to when I got started on my own journey to reinvention, I started with ones that I would consider a little bit maybe uh, on the smaller side of that line you know, the, the minor reinventions, the little tweaks, but that go a long way. So for instance, at that point in time in my life, I weighed the most I had ever weighed. And I was also in a lot of student loan debt. Um, it was close to $150,000. And when you're making only 45,000 a year, that, you know, it feels like something you'll never dig yourself out of. And I was also in a relationship that for me was no longer the right one. Actually, for both of us, it was no longer the right one. We had both grown apart. We just at that young age didn't have the courage to you know, make that decision to break that off. And so in 2005, middle of 2005, when I had moved to a new city and I was relaunching my life, I took that as an opportunity to make the small adjustments. And I'm talking like signing up for the gym, but signing up for the right gym, you know, not just signing up for any gym. I needed to work out in, because of my work schedule. I had to be at the gym at around 5 a.m. So I needed a gym that was open at 5 a.m. Not all of them open at five, many open at six. So I had to find the right one and then go in there and just have some intention for what I was going to do every day. I didn't really know exactly how to work out. I had never really worked with a personal trainer or been a part of like formal fitness classes. I played soccer before, but you know, that's a very different kind of training. And so I just showed up and I said, you know what, I'm going to do elliptical or I'm sorry, uh, a treadmill every single day. And then one day I added a little bit of elliptical and another day I added some Stairmaster. 
you know, when it came to my finances, it came down to finding extra sources of income. And I started working a part-time job parking cars. Uh, so I had my day job at the office and then at night on Thursdays, Fridays, and then of course on Saturdays as well, I worked at a restaurant, at a Greek restaurant, parking cars. And so that was a minor adjustment to my career. I didn't even change my job or anything like that. I added this part-time job. And in the relationship, you know, that one took me a little bit longer. And that one I probably wouldn't call super small. That was probably closer to the line of a bigger one. But you know, eventually, um, you know, uh, that person and I, you know, grew the courage to realize that this just wasn't working. And, you know, it took, of course, many months. Uh, it's not something at least I was able to do from one day to the next. And in the process, you know, we got to a point where we were able to split that split up. But then in 2008, after all the momentum I had built with these reinventions that took me three years through a lot of adjustments and tweaking, that's when I felt ready for what I would call the bigger one, perhaps the line things like career reinvention. Because when you're leaving a company or you're leaving a job, you're taking a big risk. And that, of course, depends a lot on the person's circumstances or their situation. And while some might have the, the opportunity to be able to make that change with less risk, maybe they already have a lot saved up, or perhaps maybe they're in a relationship where their partner can take care of their income for a little while, as they make their transition, you know, for some, that is everything. It's like, no, my income is what my family depends on or whatever that might be. So I consider even a, a small pause in, you know, as you look for the new job, that could be a big one that could feel like a very big risk. And so that could be on the other side of that line where all of a sudden we're talking, okay, this is going to take a bigger leap of faith. It's going to take a lot more actions, a lot more adjustments in order to create a new life that's more aligned with who I am and what matters to me. Well, how do you know that you need to make a change, whether yeah. it's a tweak or a reinvention, a full reinvention? It, it sounds really obvious, but mm -hmm. it, it's not because when you're in the situation, it might not be clear. How do you know? Are there signs? Is there a checklist that you can sit down with and say, you know, this one and this one and this one. And if I have five out of seven, that means I'm ready to tweak or I'm ready for a reinvention. Yeah, great question. So, you know, one of the things that I learned from researching different reinventions, other people's reinventions, my own reinventions and the different kinds that I launched is that no two reinventions are alike because of the nature of the fact that we're going from something from one thing to something that is pretty different. Um, and we come from very different circumstances and depends on what point in our journey we're doing that the reinventions are different. So that said, what are some of the signals or how do we know it's time? Perhaps the thing that I found most in common is that it's actually not so much of a checklist because it's not actually something that's very objective. It's not something where I can say, okay, these three boxes are missing in my life. And as a result, that means by definition, I must reinvent. It's not always that simple. Uh, I would say most of the time, it's not that simple. Uh, I wish it was actually. It's often something we know deep down inside. And this is what I thought was really interesting from talking to different people about this for the book was that they felt that something was not right. And here's why it's hard to use a checkbox system for this. Because for instance, when I was launching one of my reinventions, uh, going from uh, being an educator into a, an executive coach at a tech company, I, I mean, I loved teaching math. Absolutely loved teaching math. I still love it. And to leave the classroom was incredibly difficult for me. And many could have argued, but Roger, you love teaching math and you're literally doing the thing you love. You get to work with students every day. You get to empower them in their math skills and all of that. And you do it you know, with so much passion. Why would you ever consider leaving that? And I go, well, the reason I'm considering leaving that is because there are other parts of that job that don't align with me right now, with who I am and what matters to me and what feels right for me. And I know it because my body is telling me this. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm getting sick more often. I, I'm feeling more anxiety than I ever than I usually do. So I know it's different. And so my body is telling me that this is just not right. And what I found by talking to different people and my clients, of course, you know, when I work with them is that while they can't always describe it in a super objective way, they know that they have this feeling that this just isn't right. And sometimes we do say goodbye to things that are amazing in our lives. And we leave at the top of whatever that was that we were doing. It, it's going incredibly well. And from the outside, people think we're crazy. Why would you leave that? I, you know, in the book, I talk about 
Michael Jordan leaving basketball. You know, people thought he was crazy to leave basketball the first time. He had just won three championships in a row. He was still in the prime of his career. Why would you ever consider leaving at that point in time? Well, for him, it didn't matter that the boxes didn't line up or didn't check off the right way or not check off the right way. He had his own reasons. He wanted to move into something else. He wanted to pursue baseball. And the only way to pursue baseball is to give up basketball. And so it's not that he hated basketball. He just felt he had achieved everything he needed to achieve in that game. And he now wanted to achieve something new in a new game. And so when 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 people are thinking about like, is this the right time for me? And is it a big one or a small one? It starts with simply asking yourself and really assessing and being in tune with yourself and trusting that if something doesn't feel right, maybe there's something there to explore. I'm not saying that your gut feeling is always right. It is not always right. And that's just part of human nature. However, it might signal that, hey, maybe I need to take a little time to check in on this feeling and check on check in on this aspect of my life and determine whether this is right for me or not. And if it's not, and if you find that this is not aligned with who you are, no matter how good it might seem on the surface, great pay, great coworkers, um, really cool, lucrative job that everyone thinks you're cool for doing or whatever it might be, but for some reason it doesn't feel right then that right there, I would argue, is a moment to really start thinking about a reinvention. And at that point, you can decide how big or small it needs to be in order to begin moving you. And that's why I call the book The Journey to Reinvention, because I don't think it's all about one big reinvention. Sometimes it's a lifetime of small ones. How do you know whether what's making you unhappy is the environment versus the career choice itself. So for example, you might be doing something that you love, but you're not happy where you're doing it. You maybe don't like the circumstances, maybe you don't like your colleagues, maybe the pay isn't right. How can you tell what the difference is and whether you should be looking at a change in career altogether, so this big reinvention, or whether you just need to change jobs? Mm-hmm. So what are the most effective ways to be able to check in with yourself and determine which of these it might be? Is it the job itself? Is it the culture, the people, the environment, whatever it might be, is to work with, um, you know, work with other people. So here are some of the other people you could work with. Um, perhaps one of the most effective in a situation like this is a coach, because a coach helps you to zoom out of a situation and see it a little bit more broadly. They help you kind of deconstruct what's happening so that you can then maybe be have a better view of where the issue might be. Um, but it's not just coaches, because we also have mentors, mentors who can maybe who maybe have been there and done that. And so they can draw on their own experiences in order to help you see something about your experience that you're not certain about. Um, advisors, of course, friends and family too, really having conversations with different people. The opportunity to zoom out is how you will get a better sense for what the issue might really be. And it is such an important question, Elena, because if you leave for the wrong reasons, you might end up back in the same situation, just somewhere else. Um, and, and that's, and so to your point, you know, this is an important distinction to make when you are feeling a certain way, you really need to understand that. I know that when I was teaching math, there was a moment in time where there was a lot of drama going on at the school. And it wasn't with the students. It was with, you know, the leadership, the administration, other teachers and and policies and things like that. And I and I was but the feeling was still bad for me. So, you know, when I thought about going to school that going to work that day, I just thought, oh, my God, when it was the night before, I honestly like I was just, I, I didn't even want to go to sleep because I knew that when I went to sleep, that was it. Tomorrow I'm going to wake up and I've got to go do this thing again. But then I had to ask myself, like, what, what's the issue? What's the challenge here? Like, what am I really upset about here? And it's not the teaching. It's actually the teaching I love. And one of the ways that I figured that out, working with my coach, I had, I have a coach that I work with. And it's actually the same guy, Steve, that I've worked with for a very long time. And, and Steve just helped me through the, uh, you know, really kind of deconstruct the situation and at least find that there was a separation here that it, that the teaching is still what I love. I still love teaching. It's that it's the environment, the culture and the policies that are becoming a problem for me. And this is actually a big one right now because there are many teachers out there who are struggling to even articulate this feeling because they know deep down they love teaching. They still love it. It's the job that they're having a problem with. And today, luckily, I get to talk to some teachers through LinkedIn and different channels to help them as they kind of navigate their reinvention in this area.
Have you heard that expression, the grass is always greener? Yes. That seems to me that is one of the major issues that we confront when we are considering change, is that we are very familiar with our present circumstances, and we are idealizing the future because all that we see is the the dream that we have that is perfect. How do you address that when you're going through this career or personal reinvention journey? Mm -hmm. So one of the ways that I do that when I work with my clients, because these are the folks that I'm able to help more directly in this particular aspect, um, I... I really focus on that deconstructing, going back to that idea of really deconstructing their current experience. I really want them to have full awareness of what it is about that experience that works for them, what parts do not work for them. I want them to really be able to understand what is it that really upsets them about this so that as they begin to create a vision of what could be next or what the next move might be, they could do it with more intention. They know that, look, it's what's bothering me the most about this is the culture, or maybe it's the nature of the way people behave in a sales environment or whatever that might be. And it could be, of course, infinite number of things. But once you know that, then at least you can be very direct or very intentional about what you what you look for in the next opportunity or what you design in the next opportunity. So now, now that said, Clarity is step one. Let's have clarity about what it is that you really enjoy, don't enjoy, and what's causing this feeling, the anxiety, whatever it might be. In my case, it was it was a lot of the stuff related to the policies and to the leadership. Okay, so now I knew where my issues were. It had nothing to do with teaching math. By the way, that's a relief. When you have that level of clarity, at least you know that, okay, this feels right because now I get it. I don't hate teaching because <laughs> I was worried that I hated teaching. I'm like, how, how could I hate teaching? I mean, this is a thing that I wanted to do more than ever. And, and, and I identify as a teacher. So that very much scared me. But when I was able to separate the two, that helped me. The second thing that we can do in order to ensure that we're not seeing the grass as greener um, because it just looks greener on the other side is launch small experiments. And so this is a really important strategy that I talk a lot about in the book, The Journey to Reinvention, for how to begin launching an, uh, a reinvention in your life, especially the bigger ones. If you can launch small experiments, and what I mean by that is simply test out what it is that you want to do while you're still in the current circumstance, while you're still in the current situation, test out elements of that, get to know yourself better in that new context in a smaller way. So for instance, when I wanted to begin teaching math and I wanted to get into that and I was curious about that, I started by tutoring. I tutored part-time while I was still in my day job um, at a learning center that was very close to my apartment. And I spent maybe tops eight, six to eight hours a week doing that. And in that work, which is a very real, realistic experiment. I had students who were counting on me to deliver. I was in a situation, but it was only six to eight hours. So it wasn't a big risk or anything like that on my part. I was able to assess like, do I really like this? Or does this just seem exciting to me from where I'm sitting today? Because where I'm sitting today, maybe I'm upset about something and the world just looks better to your point on the other side where like, oh, I'm a teacher and I'm working with students and I'm helping them in math. Yes, that could definitely be romanticized in my head, but an experiment will very quickly take any romance out of that and at least strip it down to here's what it really is. Like, this is what the experience is. Do you still like it or not? And it was through experimentation in many of my reinventions that I was able to discover whether something was right for me or not. There were many experiments that were not. I was always curious about working with talent, like working with musicians and people like that and what I might be able to do for them. Well, I met a musician once. I was introduced to somebody through my network and I had the opportunity to help him out with booking engagements, um, setting up and delivering his engagements, not actually singing or anything like that. You don't want to hear me do that. But and through that experience, I realized, wow, this looked way cooler from where I was standing. And I'll even tell you where it became cool. I was watching a lot of that show, um, Entourage. Uh, old show on M on HBO, and it just looks so cool. Wow, look at you know the main character managing talent and all of this kind of stuff, and it looks like a lot of fun and the entertainment world and all of these great cool events going on. And so I was curious about that, and it looked so amazing. Like this is a no brainer. I should just go right into it. 
Well, I launched my little experiment. I had an opportunity to help one person out in this capacity. And I learned pretty quickly that this was not for me. And I just didn't enjoy it as much as I thought I would. So how do you bridge that? How do you make sure that the grass isn't just greener on the other side and it doesn't just look greener because we're on the other side? run an experiment and you'll find out very quickly. And then through that, you can even now, it doesn't mean you won't go to the next thing. It doesn't mean you'll go to the other side. Um, it's, it just means that when you go to the other side, you do it with more intention. How do you prioritize? There's always something that you have to give up. There's a compromise, no matter what we're talking about in life, personal career, a new job or a new business, there are some things that you exchange in order to get others. How do you prioritize that? How do you figure out what you can live with? Say, if you want higher income or more prestige or more independence, how do you get there? So the, the, the challenge of prioritization really starts with knowing what you want and why you want it. And this is something that I also talk about in the book, The Journey to Reinvention, because for me, it's what really helped me set a North Star for what I really wanted to do and where those trade-offs make sense. Because to your point, yeah, trade-offs need to be made. You can't go after all things at once and expect to get them all perfectly at once. And so the real question is, and what is more important? There were times where I thought the financial, like the, the, the money was going to be the most important thing. But as I assessed what I wanted and why I wanted it, I couldn't find enough good reasons for why I would want to just have a lot of money. And it, it never really got me that excited when I really thought about it. I mean, at surface level, very exciting. Looks amazing, especially when you're looking at, you know, uh, social media feeds and all of that. And you see all this great, you know, just lucrative stuff. And you're like, wow, this looks cool. I want that baller life. Yeah, well, you know. When you think about it a little bit more deeply, perhaps with the help of an advisor, a coach, a mentor, a friend, whoever it might be, a family member that can help you zoom out for a moment, you might realize that that's not really what you want. And there's really no reason why you want it that you can come up with that's compelling enough. So I always work with my clients or work with students even when I taught them um, in terms of prioritizing even their homework and like where they put most of their time. I go, you really got to understand what it is that you really want out of this experience, out of this career, out of this whatever activity it is, and why you want it. When we know what and why, the compromise doesn't feel as much of a compromise. It really shifts to more of a prioritization, to your original point. And it's really just, okay, this is what makes sense. Anything that is in service of this North Star makes all the sense in the world. I don't even feel like I'm compromising because I know I'm getting what I actually want at the end of the day. And now, thanks to knowing the North Star, the reason it doesn't feel like so much of a compromise is because you have clarity about what you want. I, I get this a lot when it comes to the financial point, the financial question. A lot of people are like, you know, but I really want to have a lot of like a really solid income. I want to make a lot of money and all of these things. And I'm like, look, I totally hear that. I have nothing against that. My question is going to be, or my questions, my line of questions that are coming are really going to be all about, does that make sense or conflict with what you really want? Now, if it doesn't, then that's awesome. But if it does, we need to talk about this because I want you to have clarity around this because maybe you don't want the money as much as you think you do. And so then all of a sudden the compromise doesn't feel so bad because you just realized, wow, no, I guess I was just saying that because that's what my friends say, or because that's how I was raised. I was told you got to have the highest income or that's when I went to university. That's how they raised us at a university, you know, to really like go keep going for the more senior roles and raises and keep making more money, promotions and so on and so forth. But then when you really check in with yourself, you might realize that that's not my ultimate priority. My ultimate priority is fill in the blank, whatever that is for you. And then when you know that, I think it becomes a lot easier to prioritize because it's just clarity it becomes clear what's important to you when if if you think if priorities are setting priorities are a challenge of uh, or a challenging exercise to you i would bet that what is right now not clear is what you want and why you want it but in a world where you know exactly what you want and why you want it priorities are almost i mean they're almost given now because you know what it is this year 2022 
I had three priorities. And I've learned now, uh, just living my own journey to reinvention and talking to many others and learning from their journeys, less goals is better. And so I was like, okay, what am I focused on this year? And one of the top priorities this year, there were only three, was to finish this book. And the reason that was so important was because I had plenty of opportunities to do really exciting speaking engagements, augment my teaching load and at the universities and teach more classes or teach in you know other programs or more students. And as I thought about that, I re as exciting as some of these opportunities were, Knowing that this book was like my number one priority of the first six months of the year, mostly because of the publishing timeline. So I knew it landed in the first six months of the year. It was really easy to say no to some very exciting opportunities. In a world where I didn't have that clarity that getting this book done in the first six months of the year or finishing the book project by June was my goal, that would have been a very hard thing to say no to. It would have been very hard to say no to some of these speaking engagements that came along that would have paid incredibly well but they would have gotten in the way of my revisions and editing process and during those weeks or months that I was working on that or while I was finishing up the manuscript. I had to say no to a lot of these things, but it didn't feel as heavy of a lift because I knew what I wanted and why I wanted it. What do you say to people who tell you that what they want, what they're really passionate about is not working? They want to be able to live off their revenue or their side gig income, or they want to be able to travel full time. How do you address those sort of uh, what might be for most people not realistic passions? Mm -hmm. So there, I address it through more questions, because I want to get at to the source of what they really want. So for instance, if someone tells me, I just want to travel the world, I want to be able to I want to be able to go to I don't know 12 different countries a year and this is what I really want. Okay, great. Well, as a coach, I'm going to dig deeper than that because I want to get to the root. What drives that? What do you ultimately want to accomplish in 12 different countries? So I start asking questions. Great. Give me the list of the first 3 countries. Give me quarter 1 of that dream year. And then they give me that quarter one. They go, oh, gosh, anywhere. I'm like, anywhere. Like, you pick it because this life just happened. Let's imagine that for a moment. And we go into that. Once they can imagine that first quarter and those three different countries, then I start asking more questions about what do you want to accomplish in those? What do you want out of the visit to country number one? Oh, well, what I really want out of that might be, you know, and then you hear whatever it is that they want to achieve in that country. Maybe they want to make some dear friends. Maybe they want to learn how to cook in that country. Maybe they, whatever it might be. What I try to do is I try to get to what I believe is the core, like what drives that. When I hear things like I want to live off of a side stream of revenue or whatever that might be of income, then I'm like, okay, that's a method. That's a how, that's a how thing. You want to do something in a certain way. But what I want to do is I want to get to what you really want. Travel is not usually the goal. Travel is a means to a goal. The question is, what do you really want from the travel itself? What do you want to achieve from that travel? Is it rest and relaxation? Is it an opportunity to disconnect every month for a week? What is it that you are looking to? And, and of course, I don't spoon feed them the reasons because I want it to come from them. But these are some of the possibilities that I might hear, some of the answers I might hear. But I want them to get to the core, like what drives that? And so this is how I work with someone and, and really try to get to the core of what drives that want so that we can maybe get a little bit deeper. And when we do, then I can start talking about the why. Now, why is that important? Let's really understand that powerful why behind it. Because here's the thing. Many times what we end up finding, and I do this when I actually work with entrepreneurs because it's um, it really helps with coming up with innovative products and services. When we get to the core of what it is that you really want to achieve, and of course you've already validated that you want it, that why you want it, then I go, I ask, this is probably one of the most powerful questions you can ask in coaching. I ask, okay, how else can we achieve that? What are other ways that we can achieve that feeling, that goal, that want, whatever that want might be? And then we start to really get innovative for like how we might get there. All of a sudden it's like, wow, you know what? It's funny. I used to think travel was the only way to do that. That's why I made that my goal. But now I'm thinking about three other things that I could do that would achieve that same feeling. 
I'm like, okay, great. Let's explore those. I'm not saying you have to change from travel. Travel might still be your preferred one and that's okay. We can design around that later, but let's make sure that this one makes sense because there might be one that is to, you know, use your word. It might be more realistic for now. Hey, for all I know, one day you can make the travel one completely realistic, but perhaps it's not realistic on your first attempt. Maybe we need to start somewhere else before we get there. But I'll tell you this in the book, one of the quotes that I love that I, I share in at the beginning of one of the chapters is uh, a quote by Cristiano Ronaldo and his manager also says this. And they say two versions of this statement. They either say anything is possible or nothing is impossible. And whichever version it is, I love it because it really is true. This is one of the things I found by studying people who have done really wild things is that there is a, a belief deep down in there, not even that deep down, it's, you know, they often share it in interviews that anything is possible. And so for, for all I know, this travel reality could be possible, might not be possible on the first attempt, might not be possible on the second, but it might be part of like phase three or phase four of their goal or their, re their journey to reinvention. But let's start with a phase one, what might work. And so that's how I'll do it. I'll bring it down so we can deconstruct what it is that they want and we can really get deeper. You mentioned in the book, and I think this is a statistic that we've been hearing for many years, that most new businesses go under in a year. Those are daunting statistics. And perhaps starting a new business and quitting your job are not for everyone. What, what do you say to that? So the, as far as quitting your job might not be for anyone, that, that is a really good point right there because I want to focus on that. That is the way we get to that is, is this the only way to get what you want? And, and that's why I think coaching is so important along the journey to reinvention because with, with the right questions, we can zoom out for a moment, get clarity on what we want, and then we can ask ourselves, similar to that travel question, is quitting the only way to get what I want? Or might there be an intermediate step? Maybe quitting is eventually going to be the best step, but it might not be the best step today. And so, you know, I, I don't even want to necessarily talk about what happens when you do something well the probability of this happening is whatever it might be because even in those cases we can find that you know when you talk to people who have launched successful businesses you're like wow they're so they are so passionate about what they do or they were so involved or whatever and so i think when people want to start a business they start a business not because of the probability of failure but because of the probability of success however small it might be they still want to do this they still want to pursue this but what I want to help that person do is be sure that that is the best way and the only way or the preferred way for them to do this. And I want to make sure that they had all options on the table before they chose something like this. So the question of quitting, whether, you know, this is whether this is what to do or anything like that for me is one that we have. I, I work to challenge a lot um, as someone who has quit, but also been fired, been laid off, been ghosted by a company. I've had all these things happen to me and I've done. So I've been on both sides of the equation or all sides of this equation. One of the things that I have learned is that is it, it, quitting is not something I personally take lightly. There might be moments in your life where you can quit and that might be great, maybe because you had enough saved up or whatever it might be, or very specific financial circumstances that allow for that, where the risk has been removed and that could be fine too. But that said, I still don't take it lightly because I think for at least the majority of people I've worked with, I, well, I would say for all of the people, I've never really worked with anybody or for anybody as a coach or anything like that, where quitting for them, they felt like it had no consequences. Like it was in, they were indifferent to it. So I take it very seriously. I don't take it lightly at all because I really want to challenge them uh, ahead of any uh, decision to quit. And so I would go deep on that. I want to understand if this is the only way. And if it's not, let's brainstorm a few others. And let's see if some of those might make sense in the, in the, in the, for the time being ahead of a bigger decision, if that still is the decision later on. Would you share some statistics with us on the success rates of new businesses? If you have some 
I know you talked about some of that in the book. You know, how many new businesses are started a year in the U.S., for example, and who's starting them and who's finding success and so forth? You know, one of, one of the ones I talk about in the book, which I think was really powerful and I, and it helps me tell a lot of stories to especially aspiring entrepreneurs. I work with a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs who are thinking about making the leap from often from corporate to launching their own business. And I teach people how to do that through experiments and how to run, build prototypes of their ideas and all of that. And this one study came up in um, uh, Adam Grant's book. Um, oh my gosh, why am I blanking on the name of it right now? Oh, I, I will come to me in a moment. But um, in his book, he talks about this study. And I'm just going to pull up the book because uh, for some reason, I just went blank on his books. And what he talks about is this study that showed that the people who, oh, originals, there we go. I knew it was one of the big ones. Uh, in originals, he talks about a story where he shares that, a, res a research study that found that that people who launch a reinvention going from corporate to entrepreneurship by way of starting the business while they're still in their day job are one third less likely to fail in that new endeavor. Now, that's really important. He's not saying that you're more likely. It's really important to say you're one third less likely uh, to fail. So that means your chances of failure are significantly reduced. And I think that's really powerful because what I really take from that study is what did they do to do that? Because while the statistic is nice and it makes me feel a little bit better, perhaps, you know, when I go to bed at night, if I've taken that leap, I want to understand how do I create that possibility in my life? How do I create that probability? And what he found was that it was beginning that business while you were still in the company. And that one is really important because if you can launch that business while you still have your day job in a small form, in a small experiment, after hours, on weekends, whenever it might be you're going to learn a lot about your market, which is one of the most important things to give you the best chance of success in business. When I teach entrepreneurship at the University of Pennsylvania or Sarah Lawrence College or through Techstars Startup Weekend events all around the world, the number one thing we teach is the importance of validating the market that you want to address. Because oftentimes entrepreneurs have an idea, fall in love with the idea, and their mission is to build that idea. And there are a lot of people out there who, once they know what they want, they will go get that because that's usually how we're wired. Now, the problem is if you build an idea that wasn't validated or didn't have a validated market, a validated problem or a customer, then you launch a product into the world that may not succeed. And so what makes this study really important is that it shows like the impact that that can have on the probability of failure, that it can significantly reduce the probability of failure simply by starting that business while you still have that day job. It doesn't mean that you are going to love your day job all of a sudden because you're doing this, but what it often does, and this was really interesting to look at people like Sarah Blakely who launched Spanx and she launched that for about two years while she was still in her day job. She talked about how it gave her almost new purpose in her day job because she went to her day job, a place that she wasn't enjoying as much because she was falling in love with this other idea. She went in there with purpose now to learn as many skills as possible in order to be able to serve the business. And so what she did was she created an opportunity for her day job to train her to become a better business owner, a better entrepreneur in the process. Thus, of course, also having an impact, perhaps a, a, a less direct impact on the probability of success simply because she just was better equipped with better skills, but she did that through her day job. And so I think for me, that is one of the most empowering statistics because it tells us what to do. It's not just a snapshot of what just happens, but there's baked in there a lesson, an action that we can take. So it doesn't feel so hopeless, like, oh my gosh, you know, businesses fail. Yeah, of course, everything fails at some point. Uh, you know, things fail all the time, but when we know that there is a way to actually do something about it, we can actually take action. Oftentimes, we look at successes in a situation like this, as the example that you just cited, the woman that founded Spanx, and a list of others, many familiar, uh, now in the news lately, of course, is the new owner of Twitter, and before that, uh, his involvement in Tesla, and so on and so forth. But for every one of those people who had wild success, there are 
dozens, hundreds, thousands of people who failed, sometimes lost everything. Is there any information on that that can help people decide by looking at more than just that shiny light at the end of the tunnel that they may or may not get to? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a powerful one because I'm, I'm actually one who's quite critical of all the success stories we hear in the news uh, because then it makes us believe that, oh, obviously, like that makes sense. Like that is, you know, that's the world. Everyone can succeed. So I'm going to launch an app too because if I launch an app, I will become a billionaire as well and then, you know, be in the news and get to do all those things. Um, and we don't hear enough about even I would rather hear about the beginnings of all of those people's stories, the stumbles, the fumbles, the failures of the beginning of that journey, the original idea that they attempted to bring to life, but clearly failed. And then the second idea that failed, the third idea that failed, and then the one that actually became something. And so I think what will help us, like, you know, navigate that. And I think this is for me, perhaps one of the most empowering things that has helped me along the way is that what matters ultimately for all of these people was that they wanted, they knew what they wanted and they knew why they wanted to bring this thing to life. They didn't bring it to life because they stood a good chance of success. There are, you know, so many different versions of this statistic on how many businesses fail, how quickly, how often, uh, you know, the, the, um, the small business association has their own. Many people have done their own versions of the survey. Bottom line is most businesses fail. You know, I, we can all agree, at least on that, that most businesses will fail. That said, that's not because of that, actually, that is that is not why people start a business. So we know that there's every reason not to start a business. The real question is, what are your reasons to start the business? And what I would advise anybody who is thinking about either launching a business or launching a reinvention or moving into a new area or changing some part of their life is to really question what it is that you want and why you want it. Because ultimately, that's the only thing you have control over. That's the only thing that belongs to you. And when you pursue what you want and why you want it, it actually doesn't matter as much whether you succeed in getting it or not. And here's one of the reasons why, because often if you want it that badly, you will probably get up more times to make it happen, which means it won't be idea number one, idea number two, idea number three or four or five, or for all I know, it might not even be the first 10. It might be the 11th one that actually makes it. And this is why I, I wish we heard more about the beginning stories, because then you would hear that from the founders. I mean, every now and then a podcaster or somebody will ask them about that question. But normally it's focused on you just raised a billion dollars or a hundred million dollars. Tell us about that. You know, and we focus on today, the big win that they just scored today. But we don't hear about the many small failures that they achieved along the way to getting that hundred million dollar, uh, you know, um, uh, funding in order to grow their business to the next level. And I think we need to hear more about that because when you know what you want and why you want it, you will persist through all of those things. And even if you don't get there, you're not going to go to bed wondering what if you will know that you did everything you could do to get that and it didn't work out and we can live with that. What's hard to live with is I didn't try or I didn't really give it a shot. Oh, you know, when I was younger, I wanted to do that and, and I didn't, I was afraid and I didn't. And now I don't know if I could have, if I had tried because we'll never know what if. And so I think that, and this is where I try to really point people, and that's and that's a big part of the purpose of the book, is I want to empower you to pursue the life that is aligned with who you are and what matters to you. But that pursuit does not guarantee success, and that is not why we do it. We don't do it because success is guaranteed. We do it because it's what we want, and we're going to pursue it. And if we fail along the way, we decide if we want to get back up again, how many times we want to get back up, in what ways we want to get back up. And that's what I really want to do through the book is empower people to do that because that's life on your terms. And by the way, when you're succeeding and you're making hundreds of millions of dollars off your business or whatever, or billion dollar valuations, whatever it might be, you are not enjoying success every minute of the day. You're enjoying plenty of failures as many, as much as you're experiencing success. It's just at a different level. And we don't see those because, you know, they're not as fun to cover unless it's, you know, some massive, amazing failure that we think, oh, people will click all over, you know, click articles to read about. But if it's not that, we probably won't hear about those failures because they're not going to be presented. They're going to be kept, you know, a little bit more, uh, you know, closer to the people who experienced it. And we won't know that that's happening, but they're experiencing failures too. We're all experiencing failures. The question is, are we experiencing failures on our terms 
doing the things that we enjoy doing, doing the things that matter to us, living or attempting to live the kind of life that aligns with our values, our passion, our purpose. And I believe that if we are doing that, we are much more fulfilled. We are much happier, even in the face of failure, because there is no way to avoid failure altogether. There's an author, I'm struggling to remember his name, but I think it was Malcolm Gladwell who said in one of his books that your success is related directly to the year in which you were born or the range of years in which you were born. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, that's from the book Outliers. Thank you. What do you think about that? Because that is daunting. When you look at that concept, he's saying, you talked about an example of a man who became a lawyer and his father was a lawyer and he struggled financially. And then his son came along and he thrived. And the argument he makes is that it has everything to do with when he was born. Mm -hmm. So that's an interesting one. And I think that, and this is something I think a lot about because when I look at success and study it, I, you know, I, I know that there are so many factors that go into it. And one thing that entrepreneurs have shared with me, people who have already had their businesses running for some time, they've got employees, they've built something big, is they talk about the role that timing plays in all of this. And this is actually one of the reasons why no two reinventions are alike. This is why there, I can't say there's one formula to reinvention. If you follow it, you'll get it. Like, I can't say that because the timing matters so much as, as, as well as your circumstances, the, the, the friends you have, the skills, the resources, things like that. You can go get some of these things because a lot of these things are resources at the end of the day. But timing is the one that, you know, it, it's, it's either there or it's not. And we think about really great case studies like, for instance, Instagram is a great case study. Instagram, that idea a few years before its time would not have made it because the technology was not there to allow Instagram to be a successful platform. You needed to have a camera, a good camera built into a phone, enough storage on that phone for you to be able to store the picture and move it into Instagram and then post it and start sharing it. In the world where we were carrying a second device, a digital camera, and I had to use a cable to plug it to my laptop, download it to my laptop, then from my laptop, go to the website and then upload it, Instagram would not have survived because we would not have been able to post fast enough to make that an exciting platform that we were all into. The timing was great. And so timing does play a role. There are moments, here's a great one. I talk a lot about Leonardo da Vinci in my book because I feel that he is the greatest reinventor of all time. So many stories there. We could do an entire podcast episode on Leonardo da Vinci and his reinvention strategies. But one of the things that's really important about Leonardo da Vinci is how many times he was ahead of his time as brilliant as he became and he built himself into and he was able to do all these amazing things like inventions and all of that. So many were ahead of their time. And it shows how important timing can be for a lot of these things. Um, you know, Da Vinci was, I don't know, it almost feels like he was born at a different time and then sent back in time. And all of a sudden he was like, well, I got all these great ideas that I want to do. So I'm going to do them anyway. But, you know, for instance, one of the big ones was the, um, the, the design for the engine, for a motor in a car. That design you know, the, the, like, I don't know much about engines in terms of all the names of the parts, but what makes an engine work, what's happening uh, inside of the block that was designed by Da Vinci. He just didn't have the materials to build that, you know, he tried to make them out of wood and that just wasn't going to work. And, you know, he tried to use whatever materials he had. Um, and, and a lot of this was really hard to do. Uh, he had a design for the bicycle, but there was no, the, the technology for making the chain the way you needed to make it to make the bicycle work. He tried to do that with leather straps and the leather straps would almost always tear. They were not strong enough for that. So timing does play a big role. And my, I, you know, there's, there's nothing really I can say there because I, I don't control time. I wish I did. But I think that if you can recognize that, if you can be aware of that, one thing I do help as, aspiring entrepreneurs who are looking to build an idea that might be ahead of its time is I go, what are we on time for? I think that's the empowering question in this. What are we on time for? What is this the right time for? Where later, when the time is right for that idea you have, you will have an audience ready for that. What does it take to march us, to walk us to that moment? And I think that's what visionaries do very well. Um, Steve Jobs is a great example of someone who had the idea already for what is the MacBook Air. And he wrote about it in his notes in 1987. And you can find that in 
Walter Isaacson's uh, biography of Steve Jobs. And I just thought, wait, what he just described in that note that they put in the book, that's the MacBook Air. How, like 1987, I mean, this is crazy because that MacBook Air didn't come out into the two, until the 2000s. And so it was, you know, almost 20 years ahead of its time, or I think probably about 20 years ahead of its time, uh, because I think the MacBook Airs came out after 2007. Well, Steve Jobs had those ideas, but also knew how to march people in that direction. He knew how to walk. He knew that that was not the idea to build today. That's an idea for tomorrow. Even when he passed away, one of the things that gave investors a lot of confidence in that and the Apple stock was that he had left a pipeline of products to build for at least another decade. So people knew that, okay, we'll be okay. Apple will be okay. So we don't have to jump ship on the Apple stock because Steve Jobs, the visionary, has passed away. He has left a 10-year pipeline and he's left very uh, capable people to build out that pipeline. The question now remains, by the way, we're at, we're at that 10 year mark. And you know, the question is now, does Apple have the next 10 year pipeline? Is that built? Do they have that ready? Can, are they walking us to the next level of technology or whatever that might be? We don't know, we'll find out in 10 years and we can check back in then. But I think timing does, I do agree that timing plays a big role. And I would ask the person who is facing this issue and running into that problem where they're like, wow, nobody gets what I'm trying to do, or I don't understand why this is like, people are just not ready for this. I would ask, what are they ready for today? What is this the right time for relative to your idea? And then let's build that. Let's focus on building that so that we can get people closer to your vision. That makes me think of another book called The Myth of Invention. Mm, okay. And essentially, I'm not familiar he with says, if, just to summarize uh, to the best of my recollection, he says that it's a myth that a single individual invents something, that anything new is part of a process, a little bit like you were saying about Da Vinci. Mm-hmm. Yep. If we take that to the to the next level, which is something that you've mentioned, the concept of success how do you judge whether you have been successful? So say that you have reinvented yourself. Mm-hmm. Are these objective measures? Are they external measures? Is it the way that you feel the same metrics that made you go through the in- reinvention? How do you know if you have been successful in your reinvention? Oh, that is a powerful question. Because it really comes to the heart of the beginning of what the book is seeking to do or or where the book starts, which is define success on your terms. And so to answer your question, I mean, we, we definitely agree on the objective measures or the external measures of success, right? We'll say that money is one of them or followers or engagement online and, you know, many others that we can come up with if we dedicated a few minutes to that, whatever they are. The real question is, what is your definition of success? And it's a hard one to answer because we have been brought up to subscribe to other people's definitions of success. And I really think it's significantly more fluid than that. But when I went to university, corporate careers, moving up the executive or the corporate ladder, uh, getting into a leadership development program, a competitive leadership development program, getting into a competitive MBA program, eventually doing all of these things and going back to that corporation or a new corporation and moving on up. That was the definition of success. That's very, of course, measurable. You can see that in my titles. You can track that on LinkedIn and all of that. You can probably, you know, well, I would know what my salary was. So I could see that my salary's gone up, but that may not be what my true definition of success is if I was allowed to think freely to decide what it really is for me. By the way, it might be that, and that's okay. That That's great then. If it's aligned with that's what you want, then that is awesome. Please go for that. The question though is, is that what you want? And we, you know, I think there is an opportunity to answer that question. And when we do, it may not look exactly like some of these external measures. It might actually be harder to measure. It might be one of those things that you just kind of know. I'll tell you this, like when I, I, I often say this, um, when I when I'm talking about my my early years of my first career reinvention, because there was a lot of struggle in those years. Um, it was probably the poorest I ever was, the most in debt I ever was. 
And, you know, my, my first wife and I, at the time we were living together and we, I mean, we worked a lot of jobs just to make enough to pay debt payments and living expenses. And so that's basically what we were working towards. And it was a really tough time, but that said, I can also honestly say that those were some of the happiest years of my life because every single day I got to work with students. Either I was working with students at Maryville University, uh, where I was one of the people who helped run the Leadership Institute, and I worked with fellow student fellows who were leadership fellows, and I got to help them out and work with them so that they can become more effective leaders of their student organizations. Or by night, I was working with math students from my own tutoring business that um, I had started, and I got to sit down with students and spend a couple hours every day doing that. I was also working on my master's in psychology at the time, and I loved all the papers that I had to read because I was learning so much about how to help people achieve breakthroughs in their life, how to remove barriers to confidence, or how to break through limiting beliefs. I was learning the psychology and the neuroscience of all of that. I loved all that reading. So when I look back at those years, I go, wow, those are great years. But measurably, if you had measured, like if you, if I had a baseball card <laughs> of, of those years and you looked at the back of the card with all my stats, you'd be like, wow, this guy was like, you know, in a lot of debt, um, had almost no money to do anything fun, couldn't go to the clubs, couldn't go to the bars, couldn't, you know, afford all those things, um, was driving the same car that he bought many years before that, blah, 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 you know, the same apartment, nothing fancy, cheap furniture, hand-me-down furniture. You'd see a mess of horrible looking stats. But if you asked me, instead of looking at the card, you would, you would have found that this guy looks like the happiest guy on the planet. He's got the craziest life, works multiple jobs, um, you know, just to barely make ends meet, but absolutely loves life. And that's because I was very in tune with what my definition of success was. And I was able to enjoy that period. I'm so glad it was one of those things that I was aware during that moment because I had already been on the journey and I knew to this is the moment. This is a moment to enjoy right now with challenges and all that. By the way, it was during those years that I also got divorced. So I went through a very difficult time. But even still, I remember those years very fondly because I was doing things that I loved, things that I considered successful for me. And so I would invite anybody listening to this to ask themselves, you know, what do you, what is your definition of success? What makes you feel fulfillment? Because that's really where you get the intersection of success and happiness. That's where you know that you are really tapping into something special, something meaningful and something successful combined equals fulfillment. And so the question is, what is that success that also achieves fulfillment? And if you can answer that question, which may not take, which may not happen right away, and that's okay, but ask yourself that over the course of days, weeks, months, years, however long it takes you to arrive at that answer, it'll be a powerful one. And when you do, you can start doing that by design. You can start doing that intentionally and make sure that it's not an accident or it's not something that happens every now and then or whatever it is, but rather it's something that you make part of every day or part of every week or every month. So success on your terms is your definition, not mine. And, you know, I, I, it's, it'll be measured by you ultimately. Some people are cut out. Their personality style, their approach to life lends itself to this reinvention process that we're discussing. And other people are very uncomfortable with change. Most of us, from what I understand, are resistant to change. Who would you say, is there a criteria, the, the people or the characteristics of people who are not cut out to go through this process? Someone that you meet and you say, this is, this is not a good fit. Is, is there a personality profile or are there characteristics that you say pretty much rule someone out for this career reinvention process? I don't believe anyone is actually ruled out for this. I actually think we've all reinvented ourselves. The question really is, are we aware of where and what, when we made those reinventions? If we have ever failed at something or hit rock bottom or hit a moment that just really didn't feel right for us, chances are we had a moment where we said, no more, I'm done with that feeling and I'm gonna do something differently in order to rebound or get back on a path that fits better for me. Um, that has happened, no doubt. At some point in someone's life, they have hit that moment where they knew change had to happen. 
Um, I actually believe that while change is uncomfortable, we actually, we, we, we welcome change. It's just that it's an uncomfortable process because of a bunch of neuroscience reasons, such as like all the habits we formed are like very ingrained in us. And when things change, it, you know, it, it will suck that things are changing because it feels different. Like I have to learn a new set of routines or I have to learn a new set of patterns and I've got to do that. That will always be a little bit difficult or uncomfortable. But I think deep down the all, the outcome of change is as long as it's aligned with who you are and, and, and uh, what matters to you, it will feel great because you are now becoming closer to who you really are. You're starting to feel more like who you really are. And that actually is a good feeling that comes from that. So I'm not sure I would, uh, there's anybody that I would say is not cut out for it, but I will say that there are some people that will have a harder time doing it. And here's maybe one of the, like one of the things that I have found there are, there are some people, of course, who've been brought up that, you know, there is a very specific definition of success that must be subscribed to. And perhaps they believe it all the way, like so wholeheartedly that there is almost no way to get off that path because that's what it is. And even while even that person probably has a no more kind of moment where I'm like, no more, I'm not going to do this anymore, whatever that thing might be. Maybe it's not their career. Maybe it's something else. Um, they might stay on a path that is not aligned with who they really are. However, in those situations, what I have found is going back to what we talked about earlier, the power of clarity, the power of knowing what and why you want something. If you don't have that clarity, you may actually not even be aware. You might be like, no, this is what I love doing. I, I love moving up the corporate ladder or whatever the thing might be. I only use that one because that's a big one in universities is, you know, they tell us all to go do that. And they, and so if that's within my level of awareness, I might actually be okay with that. And so maybe there is no reinvention I'm seeking. What I have met are people who are, well, no, I'm, I'm good. Where, I'm good where I am. That's great. I'm, I'm not here to convince you to reinvent yourself if you are, you are good with where you are, um, because it really is important that you know that there is something that is not aligned and that you want to make a change. And that's what invites reinvention. So that's the first requirement. And if you've already hit that, then you are capable of reinvention. It doesn't make it any easier. It just means that you're capable of reinvention, which is, for me, the most important thing. That's why there are coaches like me and others who will help you reinvent yourself because we will help you through the hard part. We will help you through the difficult change. We will help you through the discomforts of change and learning and early failure and something new so that you can get through that moment and get to the other side um, where you will make the grass greener on your own. Are there particular market segments that are more likely to succeed in this process of reinvention, say by geographic location. We see a lot of creativity coming out of Northern California, for one, or by gender or by ethnicity in the sciences versus the arts, etc. Are there particular groups or market segments that come to mind when you think of career reinvention and success? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, you know, I think that because this, this is actually interesting based on the conversation we had earlier about the power of time, the importance of timing, right? Maybe it's there's an importance of location or market or where you're placed in the world. And I think that perhaps if I can think of any advantage where one group might have a slight advantage over another, and it doesn't really mean that it it necessarily makes a difference, um, but the advantage, the the seeds for that advantage are there. Um, it might be a place where you have access to a lot of different people with different ideas and perspectives and different passions. One of the things that I talk about in the book, The Journey to Reinvention, is the um, I talk about what are the ingredients for building a strong foundation for constant and never-ending reinvention. And one of them is access or meeting new people. So however you decide to do that. Um, second is new perspectives. You know, making sure that you are exposed to and par participating in new perspectives. Uh, third is that you are exploring and testing out new passions. And fourth is that you are um, in a place where you can be asked a lot of new questions. So asking yourself new questions. But of course, you can get a lot of new questions from new people as well. And when you have those four, then you have what I consider are the ingredients for creating a very fertile foundation, a very fertile ground for constant and never-ending reinvention. There are some places that just lend themselves better to 
an influx of a lot of new people. I launched my book uh, in Aruba at the Aruba Innovation Summit. And this was um, in, uh, August 31st or something like that of this year. So just a couple months ago. And when I was there, someone asked me this question. They said, you know, you talk about these four ingredients for creating that strong foundation for constant and never-ending reinvention. Well, we live on an island of, I forget how many people, but very few people, you know, compared to any city in the U.S. or anything like that, any major city. How how do I find new people and all of that? And even in that case, you know, and we kind of talked it out at the conference because I really enjoy like questions like that. I go, let's troubleshoot this. Let's find a possibility that maybe was not considered. And since I'm an outsider to you, because I'm not from here, maybe I can offer you a different way of looking at this. And I told him, I think that if I were to relocate to Aruba and I needed to tap into new people, I think I would work at a resort because, and maybe at a bar or maybe somewhere where I get to interact with a lot of the visitors. Because I think one of the things you have access to that we don't in New York in the same kind of way is this concentrated revolving door of humans from all around the planet. New York City has that, but there's no one spot in New York where I, like, I, I will guaranteed find them all coming in the same door. But in Aruba, you know, you have a few major popular resorts. I mean, if you're working at one of them, you have a steady flow of brand new people. And I'm not saying that they all have to become your friends or anything like that. But if you focus on that and you look into that, all of a sudden you have access to more people than, you know, maybe in another place where people don't come visit as often. And so I would say that it, it, a lot matters uh, or, or the... Um, closest thing to maybe suggesting there might be some better places are if you have access to um, more diversity of people, of thought, of perspective, of passions, and of questions. And there are a few places in the world, of course, there are places in the world that, of course, tend to uh, have that. That said, you can also attend conferences, and it's a way to create that. When I lived in St. Louis, and I felt I was disconnected from some of these ideas, because St. Louis is a smaller market than what I was used to in Manhattan and New York. Well, I went to conferences and traveling to conferences, I was able to mix with people from all over the planet who were passionate about education and education technology. And it was through that, those events that I was able to get those new people, new ideas, new questions, new perspectives, new passions. And I learned a lot and I was able to create or maintain my fertile ground for constant and never ending reinvention. Roger, thank you for joining us from West New York, New Jersey. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate the opportunity to well, talk all things about the journey to reinvention. And to our audience, you have been listening to Roger Osorio, who is author of The Journey to Reinvention, How to Build a Life Aligned with Your Values, Passion, and Purpose, who discussed career reinvention. To propose a guest for the show, you can email me directly at editor at hispanicmpr.com. That's editor at hispanicmpr.com.